Right, if you have a Bible uh, with you, uh, either on a device or physical one, I've got the English Standard Version, but the NIV will be, especially those NIVs, the old 84 NIV will be perfectly good. Um, and somewhere along the line, in our um, conversations, Tim mentioned uh, the passage from 2 Timothy, um, the unashamed workman who rightly divides the word of truth. And so I thought that, um, that what I would do is I would spend some time with you um, looking at 2 Timothy. Um, now, 2 Timothy is um, it's a remarkable uh, letter. Um, it's uh, 1, 2 Timothy and Titus are, are what we would call the pastoral epistles, the letters that are written to those in Christian work. Um, most of the New Testament letters are written to the whole church, and of course these letters were written to be read out in church, but the target audience um, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus are really uh, Timothy and Titus who are Christian workers. And so it seemed to me that um, it would be good to to look at, at this great letter to Timothy with you. Uh, I'm involved with a thing called the Charles Simeon Trust, which is designed really to help and to encourage a new generation of expository Bible teachers, and particularly in Africa. Uh, I, I, Martin Luther King had a dream, I have a dream. <laughs> and um, my dream is that one day, worldwide, when people want to look somewhere for examples of good Bible exposition. They don't look to America or Australia or England, but they look to Africa. Because we have a, a whole generation of Bible teachers in Africa who are rightly handling, rightly dividing God's Word. It's a huge privilege for me to be with you. I have massive admiration for the work that you're doing. I'm really encouraged by it. Um, and as uh, Tim and I were chatting, I, I felt if there's anything I can do to encourage you in this journey, then I, it would be my privilege to do so. So here I am today. Will you pray with me as we come to God's Word? Father, we thank you for your Word, its truth. I thank you that it is that sword which pierces deep down, uh, right into our very hearts, that it brings to light uh, what is in our hearts and in our minds, and that it changes us from the inside out. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit uses your word as a mighty sword um, in, our in our hearts and in our world. And I pray that as we spend time together in this great letter, um, you will really speak to us. We've already prayed that this morning, that you will speak to us, Lord Jesus, and that you will yeah, transform us, um, renew our minds and change our hearts. And I pray that your word will teach and rebuke and train and correct as it's designed to do. And to this end, we pray for the work of your spirit within us, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I was wondering about the method I was going to follow, because there are actually four talks and four chapters. So, hey guys, come in. So, I, I thought, well, maybe I could do one chapter for each of our sessions. But thinking about it, um, it seemed to me that there was another way of approaching this material. And um, so, so what I'd like to do is to 
is to pick up with you the theme of authentic ministry. Uh, what does true, real, authentic ministry look like? I think if I wanted to speak about authentic Christianity, I'd probably have gone to Colossians. It seems to me to be a letter that has particular relevance in our day. Um, of course, you can go to the whole Bible for authentic Christianity. But if you, I, I, think, I think to Timothy, I, the theme authentic ministry um, is, is what I'd like to share with you over these four weeks. And um, I don't want to, as I say, go verse by verse through it. But, but really what I want to do is I want to pick up a number of key passages in this letter in the hope that that will kind of whet your appetite to go and read it for yourself. Um, the Bible does need a teacher, um, this side of heaven. I think uh, Jeremiah says, you know, that the, the time will come when no one will need to say, no, the Lord, for we will all know him from the least to the greatest. And of course, that's true in the gospel. Um, but I do think that uh, this side of glory, we do need the Bible explained. Um, and so I'm glad for that because it enables you and me to keep doing what we're doing and makes it important. But I think discovering things for yourself from God's Word, and there's nothing more precious than that. So what I'm hoping to do is to put some, some keys in your hand so that as you read to Timothy for yourself, over these four weeks, uh, with the keys that I'm giving you, you'll be able to really grip, be gripped by the letter. We never master the Bible. You know, the Bible's a bit like golf. You never master the game. Now, I'm a keen golfer. Um, and, and golf's always got the better of you. And, and I don't feel, I'm talking to our staff at St. James, I always say to them, the key thing in ministry is not to feel you've mastered a Bible book, but that you have been mastered by it. It's God's Word that must master us and rule us and control us. And please, Lord, may the pulpits of our country be governed by the Word of God rather than by the opinions of the preacher. Um, there's so many people out there, you know, speaking. But they're speaking from their own opinions. So I, I want this book to master you and for you to really feel that you, you, it, it's, it's gripped you. And I hope I can, I can help you in that direction. So there are four things I want to say about authentic ministry over these four weeks. I, let me mention them to you and then we'll take one at a time as we go. Uh, I want us to remember that authentic ministry is ministry today that's done in the light of eternity. Or that is shaped by eternity. And I want us to think about that today. And then next Tuesday we want to talk about authentic ministry as cross-shaped ministry. And then, in our third week together, which there's a gap, I think, and then we're back 25th, I think, of, of May. Um, authentic ministry is word-shaped ministry. And then the last one, early in June, I want us to think about authentic ministry as fulfilled ministry. And why I'm using that um, word will become clear as we go along. So today, I want us to think about authentic ministry as... As a ministry that's shaped by eternity. And um, as we work through this, this great letter, I want us to think a little bit about um, also some tools for reading. So, so my goal is really twofold. To, to take you into the text of 2 Timothy, but along the way, to try and share some practical tools for how to read the Bible better for yourself. 
Now, um, one of the key things when you come to a New Testament letter is to look at the beginning and the end. Uh, the top and tail, if you like. Because often in the introduction to the letter and in the conclusion, you get some idea of the, the writer's burden, the thing that, he, that, that the writer is, is trying to get across. And so um, I want us to look at the beginning and the end of 2 Timothy. So let me read the first couple of verses for you. Um, as I say, this is the ESV, um, but the translation is, is not of, of great consequence. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, when you look at this greeting um, in the beginning of the letter, it's very similar to many of the greetings you would find throughout the New Testament. Do you agree with that? If you've been reading your Bible at all, and I hope you have, um, you'll see this kind of greeting in almost all of the letters. And this is a very traditional greeting in the ancient world. It helps because I'm old enough now, I'm in my, well, coming up to my mid-60s. But in, um, in, when I was young, when I was young, <laughs> um, we used to have things called letters. Do you remember what letters looked like? <laughs> you know, they came in a funny little thing, you had to open it. And you... But you only discovered who it was from if you went to the very end. Uh, you know, it was dear Bob and then da 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 lots of love or whatever, so and so. Of course, the New Testament letters are much more sensible. <laughs> so right at the beginning of the letter, it says, hey, this is from Paul. <laughs> it's a bit like emails now, where the name is right there and you know where it's coming from. So Paul... To these people, greetings, that's standard. That's kind of the sort of thing you would have done in grade three, letter writing in the ancient world. You know, how do you write a letter? Well, start with a greeting. Name, audience, and then greeting. Charein, or whatever it is, the word that's there. Grace and peace. Um, in this case, grace, mercy, and peace. Um, but when you compare Paul's greetings across his letters, you'll notice something. That each of the greetings has a little added-in thing. So there's the normal stuff, Paul to Timothy greetings, or grace and mercy and peace, or whatever it is. But notice that in verse 1, there's that little description of him as an apostle by the will of God, then these words, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Now, you won't find that anywhere else in Paul's letters. That phrase is unique to, one, to 2 Timothy. According to the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. And so, as I'm reading 2 Timothy, I'm asking myself the question, what is it about the promise of life that matters to Paul enough for him to put it right at the beginning of his letter? You with me? Yeah. It's this promise of life. And promise is to do with the future. I mean, we could talk about Christianity as the gift of life, eternal life in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. So we have life now in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Amen. For that, we have life in Christ. But Paul is talking about future life, which sounds like a product, doesn't it? Something to put in a glass and use. He's talking about future life, the promise of life. 
So he's looking forward towards the world to come and the life of the world to come. And the promise that every believer, and Timothy in particular, has of life in the world to come. See, he is already right at the beginning of his letter, turned our eyes where? To eternity. He's already fixed our eyes on eternity. Right at the beginning. Now I said top and tail. So what happens when we get to the back end of this letter? Now 4, 1 to 18 is really Paul's final kind of exhortation. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 18. And we'll look at this again, uh, uh, perhaps, as we move along. By the way, Timothy, 2 Timothy is the letter of commands. There are 27 imperatives in this letter. Four chapters and 27 imperatives. So it's quite an urgent letter. Chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 18. I won't read it all, but let me highlight a few verses for you. You can read it for yourself. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Here again it is, this eternal perspective. Can you see it? Who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Or, if you like, by the appearance of His kingdom in fullness. Beginning of the letter, the promise of life. End of the letter, I charge you, Timothy, and y'all in the room, as Christian workers, I charge you all, in the light of Jesus Christ's appearing as King, eternity. Do you see it? Look at 4, 6 to 8. He has Paul's kind of final words. The urgency of the letter is born out of the fact that Paul is basically on death row. He'd been in prison in Acts, as you know, under house arrest, and he had a certain amount of freedom. People could come and go. The end of Acts, we read about that. Paul was then released. We never know whether he got down to Spain to preach the gospel there, which is what he wants to do. He tells us that in Romans. But somewhere along the line, maybe in Miletus, he's been re-arrested. And now he's in Rome, not under house arrest, but in a dungeon. Later on in this chapter, he says to Timothy, look, Please come quickly and bring my cloak before winter. Because it's not like staying at the leisure of the government um, in prison in Rome. If your family don't feed you, you don't eat. If your family don't clothe you, you don't get clothing. So a Roman dungeon was not the place to be. But that's where Paul is. I'm being poured out as a drink offering, verse 6. The time for my departure has come. You see, he's on death row. I've fought the fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Forward-looking, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me, what? A crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all, including you, Timothy, who have loved this, or his appearing. See? Eternity. Can you see it? Beginning of the letter, the promise of life. Eternity. End of the letter, I've finished my work. I'm looking forward to the crown of righteousness when the Lord appears. Or when I appear in His presence. Look at 4.18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Now, he's not expecting to be led out of prison. 4.18, do you see it? 
The Lord will rescue me, rescue me from every evil deed, or whatever the NIV translation says, and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. So there's assurance for eternity. He's not talking about being released from prison. He's talking about being saved from death. That is, through death. From the clutches of death. From the clutches of the grave. And led through death into God's heavenly kingdom. So what do we learn so far from 2 Timothy? We learn that Paul's ministry, which I think we can agree was an authentic ministry, yes? I mean, if we wanted a model in the New Testament of authentic ministry, there are two places to look. The first place to look always is Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him, scorned, you know, endured the cross, scorning the shame. He is the great example of what it means to follow God, to trust God. Jesus is the model believer. Um, in, in Hebrews, you know, fix your eyes on Jesus. It doesn't say the author and perfecter of our faith, though most translations actually have that. Uh, in the original, the writer says the author and perfecter of faith. Not our faith, but faith. In other words, he's telling us that Jesus is the model believer. Um, Jesus on the cross. How do we know that Jesus never gave up his faith? Because even in the extremity of suffering on the cross, he says, not God, why have you forsaken me? But my God. So even there on the cross, he's full of faith. Trusting his Father. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. So Jesus is the model believer, but he's also the model minister. If you want to know what the life of ministry looks like, then the first place to look is Jesus himself. But I think alongside of Jesus, we can look to Paul. In fact, Paul often says that, doesn't he? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he's talking there about ministry. So Paul is the model minister. He's the model Christian worker. And what we see is that Paul conducted his entire ministry in the light of eternity. The fact of eternity, the fact of life, the promise of life, the fact of the appearing of Christ, the fact of the day of judgment, the fact of the crown of righteousness which God in His grace gives to all who trust in Jesus, that fact enabled Paul to finish well. Now, the question is, and this is back to kind of toolbox stuff, when it comes to reading these letters, I've suggested to you that if you look at the beginning and if you look at the end, you get something of a feel for what the author is burdened by in the introduction and in the conclusion. Does, we would expect, wouldn't we? I mean, you would agree with me. That if this question of eternity and life, eternal life and the future, if that really mattered to Paul, then it wouldn't only come in the beginning and in the end, would it? We'd find it somewhere in the middle of the letter. Agreed? Yes? Good. So, have a look at 1.10. The ESV has it. 
as which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Now, which appearing is he talking about? He's not talking about the return of Christ, the second coming. He has had that in mind. But he's, of course, talking about the first appearing of Christ, right? The appearing of Christ Jesus, our Saviour, who did what? Abolished death, destroyed death, and brought life, there it is again, and immortality to life through the Gospel. So there it is. The Gospel word is a word about life and immortality. So here is what might come as a surprise to you. The Gospel is a word about the world to come. It is a word about Jesus, His death and His resurrection. But it's a word about the world to come. Oh, and something for this life. The Gospel is not a word for this life. Oh, and something at the end. Just to show you that that is a New Testament emphasis, turn with me to Hebrews, will you? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Is it Hebrews 3, 7? I'll find it for you now in a moment. No, it's not Hebrews 3, 7. It can't be that. It's got to be Hebrews 2, 5. But look at Hebrews 3, 7 anyway. This is like bonus material on DVDs. You don't even know what DVDs are, eh? Some of you are so young. <laughs> you work in a different world to mine. Those of you who remember DVDs will remember that there's sometimes bonus material on it. So here's some bonus material for you. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 7 of Hebrews. It's not hard to find. It's just a few turns on from 2 Timothy. Hebrews 3, 7. How cool is this? You've got Hebrews 3, 7. He's about to quote Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as, rebellion, as in the days of the testing. So... He's quoting Psalm 95, but look at chapter 3, verse 7. As the Holy Spirit, what? What's the tense of the verb? Not said, but says. So when you read the Scriptures, Psalm 95, what is happening? The Holy Spirit is speaking. Not spoke, but He's speaking. There's a doctrine of the Bible for you, eh? That the Scriptures are the Word of the Holy Spirit today. When you hear God's Word, like we're doing in 2 Timothy, you are hearing a man trying to explain as best he can, but supremely the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So the Holy Spirit is telling us that ministry is lived in the light of eternity from 2 Timothy. Have a look at chapter 2 verse 5 of Hebrews. Hebrews 2 verse 5. Now, Hebrews is all about the gospel, about Jesus. In the beginning, you know, in the past, God spoke in different ways, but in these last days, spoken to us by His Son. It's all about the Son. But have a look at Hebrews 2.5. It is not to angels that God has subjected the world to come. And then what? About which we are speaking. So Hebrews is about what? Chapter 2, verse 5. What is He speaking about in Hebrews? The world to come. Isn't that interesting? Not about this world, but about the world to come. Now, of course, the Christian message has massive implications for this world, as all of you have experienced in your own lives. Of course, it works its way out in this world. 
in faith and love and hope, in transformation of life and circumstances. And, and the, the gospel has a massive life-changing impact in this world. But here's my point. It is powerful to change in this world because it is precisely not about this world. So one of the things that has astonished me is the recruitment of young people for ISIS. When ISIS was at its height, at its peak, one of the remarkable things was that ISIS's primary recruitment was amongst young Westerners and young people in the Middle East. Young people. Not older, die-hard conservatives, but youngsters. And I exercised my mind about that. I, it, it really bothered me. <laughs> I mean, you folk work particularly with young people. And it bothered me as I was sitting at St. John's thinking, how is it possible that something so destructive can be so appealing to young people? And the answer is, ISIS didn't give people anything to live for, did it? It gave them something to die for. It gave them something to die for. Something worth dying for. That's striking. So as Paul frames his ministry for Timothy, this young man who's under the pump, let me tell you, he is under pressure. Uh, as you read to Timothy, you'll discover there's a lot going on in Ephesus. In Acts 20, when Paul left the Ephesian church in, in, at Miletus, he gathered all the elders and he said, I'm on my way and you'll never see me again. I assure you I'm innocent of the blood of everyone. I, day and night I've preached the gospel. I haven't withheld from you anything that is worth having. I've preached the whole counsel of God. Remember those words in Acts 20? Standing on the beach talking to those elders. And then he says, after I've gone, understand this, savage wolves will come in among you to destroy the flock, and from among your own selves, people will arise who will draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Shepherd the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And I commit you to God and the word of His grace. Paul says, the church is in trouble, so I'm leaving. Isn't that extraordinary? The Ephesian church is in trouble. I'm out of here. But that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit has made you teachers. And the Word of God and His grace is enough. It's all you need. So the Bible needs a teacher and we don't need teachers. Because the Word of God and the Spirit of God can change the world and change the church. It's the great discovery of the Reformation. That we don't need priests and bishops and prelates and popes. We just need God's Word at work among the people of God. But this Word of God comes to us and shapes us for eternity. You see. It gives us something to die for. It's an eternal perspective. Chapter 1, verse 12 of 2 Timothy. Back to 2 Timothy. I'm just going to move on. Chapter 1, verse 12. What does Paul say? I'm convinced, you know, you know, it's a famous verse, isn't it? I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, 
And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day. And then there's two translations, what I have entrusted to him or what has been entrusted to me. I rather think it's the second one, but that doesn't matter. So he's confident that God can guard what Timothy is in, what Paul has entrusted to God and what God has entrusted to Paul until the day. See again, what's the focus? It's the day. The day of the Lord, the day of His appearing, the day of judgment. We've got to do ministry now in the light of the day of judgment. Yeah. The appearing of Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Remember chapter 4? Mm -hmm. That's the thing that must shape your ministry. Frank Retief, the former, the founding pastor of St. James, on the pulpit at St. James had one word, was the word eternity. So whenever he got up to preach, he was reminded that ministry is done in the light of eternity. Sure. Chapter 2, verse 8 of 2 Timothy. What is Timothy to do as he conducts his ministry? 2.8 Somebody read for us. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering. This is my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. Now what doesn't he say? Remember Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Although he believes that. <laughs> he really does. You know the gospel that was entrusted to me? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that on the third day he was raised, 1 Corinthians 15. We're not Paul's gospel. But in this letter, remember Jesus Christ? Raised from the dead. See the focus? Resurrection. Eternity. Remember Jesus raised from the dead. King Jesus. Raised from the dead. A suffering king, that's what offspring of David means. Because David's model, you know, he as the Messiah, David is the model of rejection and suffering in the Psalms. But remember that the suffering king was raised from the dead. As you do your work, as you do your ministry, as you set out today to do whatever you're going to do, remember that you're doing it in the light of eternity. There's more at stake than what happens today. Or tomorrow, or next week, or next month. Or today's joys, or today's sadnesses, or struggles. There's much more at stake here. Makes you want to do ministry, doesn't it? Therefore I endure, verse 10 of chapter 2, everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So the gladiators always thought they were going to get eternal glory. What we do on earth echoes in eternity. The saying is trustworthy. If we've died, we will live, you see. If we endure, we will reign. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. We'll come back to that deny us business because it has to do with being ashamed or unashamed. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you on the day when He comes with His Father's glory and the holy angels. So there it is again. So the whole 
framework of this letter is eternity. From the beginning, through the middle, and to the end. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and he's left it in Scripture for us to say, Brother, sister, your whole ministry is shaped by eternity, by the promise of life in Christ Jesus, by the coming of Christ, by His appearing, by the day of judgment. Ministry is a serious business. It's a joyful business. It's a hard business. But it's an eternal issue. Now, what are the key applications? Well, we've had some already, and I'm going to end in a minute. But the other thing to look for when you read New Testament letters is to look for what I call purpose statements. Are there, are there in the letter uh, a little statements that, that explain why the writer is writing? We know what is shaping Paul's writing, yeah? It's eternity. He's about to, to enter eternity himself. And he wants Timothy to remember eternity as he does his ministry. But are there other things that in this letter explain something of the purpose? Now, some years ago I wrote a commentary on 1, 2, and 3 John. And in some of those letters, like John's Gospel or John's letters, it's quite simple because you get a purpose statement given to you. Uh, 1 John says, you know, I write to you believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So we know that 1 John's about having assurance. Uh, John 20, 20 and 21, Jesus did many other signs that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life in His name. John gives us a purpose. So is there some kind of purpose letter or purpose, purpose statement in 2 Timothy? I want to suggest to you that there are. The one is a statement and the other is a command. Now can I just highlight those for you? And then we'll call it quits. Chapter 1, verse 6. Right at the beginning of the letter, Paul tells Timothy what he is concerned about for Timothy. What does he want him to do? 1, 6. For this reason I remind you to do what? Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, let's not misunderstand what he's talking about. He's not, he, this is not apostolic, you know, this is not the Catholic Church's notion of the, the, the Pope or the Bishop passing some gift through the laying on of hands to somebody else. I'm not talking about that. There is an apostolic succession in 2 Timothy, but it's not that. I can say that as an Anglican. <laughs> it's not that. What is the gift that Timothy has been given? I want to suggest to you, and, and if you read 1 Timothy, I think this will become clear for you. You know, in 1 Timothy, he speaks about that thing. With the, through the laying on the hands of the elders, um, is, is the setting apart that Timothy had for the work of ministry. That's what happened. Uh, when, when the elders laid their hands upon Timothy, what were they doing? They were setting him apart for the work of ministry. You may have something similar that you do in your organization where you get together and you pray and you lay hands on people and you set them aside for a task, for ministry. So the gift that is in you through the laying on of my hands is what? It's the, it's the calling, the gift, the task, the work of ministry 
that has been entrusted to Timothy. Yeah? Do you agree with that? So what is Paul saying to Timothy? Timothy, I want you to fan your ministry into flame. I, I want your ministry to be fully on track. So what does Paul do to motivate Timothy to get his ministry on track? He reminds him that ministry is done in the light of eternity. If, you, if you've got grown cold in ministry, then can I encourage you to remember hell? And the day of judgment. And the lostness of the world. And the fact that young people are going to a Christless eternity but for the gospel. That will show up in your thinking, won't it? <laughs> My thinking. When I get old and weary and tired, as I do now, I've been in ministry for 37 years. When I get lazy or disheartened or discouraged, what do I have to remember? Well, I can remember that my wife loves me and that the Lord loves me and all of that. My kids love me. My guinea pigs love me. We have guinea pigs at home. We've had them ever since our kids were small. Our kids are now 32 and 30, but we're not allowed to get rid of guinea pigs. We have to keep having generations of guinea pigs so that my kids can come and visit them. And they are the cutest little things. And they love me because I give them apples. So whenever I arrive, it's bleep, 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 bleep. And they run up to the cage and stand up and say, thanks very much, Dad. I mean, that's very encouraging for me, but that's not going to keep me in ministry. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out with you guys is great, but that's not going to keep me in ministry. Yeah. The thing that's going to keep me in ministry is that if I realize and remember that without the gospel in our world, people are lost. And that ministry is shaped by eternity. Yeah? 4 5. I keep saying I'm going to end. I really am going to end that. 4 5. There are lots of commands in chapter 4, but I think this is the key one. As for you, be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and then 4 5, you see it? Fulfill your ministry. Finish the job, Timothy. Don't give up. Because ministry is done in the light of eternity. Don't give up. You're tired and discouraged? Don't give up. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that ministry is not just about starting well, but finishing well. And we thank you that Paul's great letter to Timothy reminds us of what is at stake. And may it be so, Lord, that eternity will shape our thinking, the decisions we make. May you, Lord, lead us and give us an eternal perspective. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening.